Welcome to a new conversation on the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. Our conversation today combines two big topics, big themes on this podcast, and that's creating a second act and retirement, and the story of someone who combines both. It'll be of high interest to you if you're thinking about a second act or if you're an entrepreneur who might be thinking about how to really provide the right type of support to your employees. Gene Smart was the Managing Director, Head of Business Strategy, Corporate Institutional Advisory Solutions at UBS in 2020, and had spent her 20-plus year career as a Wall Street executive. Then, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, she observed millions of small businesses around the country struggle. Reminding her of how her immigrant parents, owners of a grocery store and a restaurant in Los Angeles, cared for their family and employees, but failed to invest in their own retirement leaving them vulnerable in old age. Jean was inspired to move on from her steady financial services career and begin her second act. She founded Penelope, a venture-backed 401k platform focused on micro and small businesses. There were over 5 million micro-businesses, and those are defined as less than 50 employees across the U.S., and Jean recognizes the untapped potential of helping these entrepreneurs support and retain their employees with a best-in-class retirement program that's simple, affordable, and effective to use in solving the retirement crisis facing the 57 million U.S. workers without a company-sponsored retirement plan. Jean, thanks for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me, Joe. Really excited. So many people who listen to this podcast are really interested in hearing about second act stories because it's something that they're often considering themselves. What led to your second act? Thank you for asking that. Well, it wasn't intended. I didn't think, huh, 20 plus years in banking, I will become a fintech founder and do this second act. So like a lot of us, COVID gave me and my family a lot of pause in terms of what we've been doing. And so during that period or just that first year, taking a lot of conference calls at home, having my husband and daughter listen to all of these calls, sort of the levers of stress. I felt Wall Street and banking had been very rewarding on a lot of different fronts. And I had primarily been doing product, marketing, strategy, a lot of interesting work. And it it just kind of hit the ball. It, It just provided less meaning. I wasn't talking to clients. I was more operating around the sides, talking to other advisors. It was a little bit death by PowerPoint. It became a lot of more administrative than it was fulfilling. So that was a good time. And I had always had this idea of doing something in FinTech, something with small businesses around inclusive capital. Just from my personal story, being an immigrant, growing up in a small business household and sort of making it on my own, I knew sort of the power of investing, investing early on. So I had that in the back of my mind. And then the second part just came to logistics, talking to my husband. What can we afford? How can we do this? What's the timing? How do we plan it at this sort of later stage with a young child in school, with a mortgage, with finances? We had to figure out the math. And a lot of those components coincided. And I would say the final part for me was a small group of close women friends who were also entrepreneurs and founders who really encouraged encouraged me, got me excited about it, and made me feel like it was possible. 
So it was a confluence of a lot of things, but it was probably, it was one year in planning, but it was probably five or 10 years in the making, slowly, slowly, slowly. So moving from working for large companies to running a startup, that's a transition. What have been the biggest challenges in running a startup compared to your earlier roles in those large companies? The biggest challenges are the fluctuations of what you're thinking about. So one day you're a CEO, the next day you're a janitor. The velocity in which you've got to make decisions. It's not three or five meetings in advance and writing out and looking at every pro and con and scenario. It's making five decisions within that first hour. So I think sort of velocity, the speed and the ownership I was probably a little bit clunky at it at the beginning, but now two years in, I feel like I found my stride. Another part is deciding around funding for the business. Will I go down the venture route? Will I use my own funds? Will I take a loan? There are a lot of different options. And I think the route I chose was right for this particular space in FinTech. So the venture route was around velocity. It was around becoming connected to the right ecosystem to help fuel the business. And I'm really happy for it. It's no small feat. It's like all venture funding right now, particularly with the economy is challenging, but particularly for women founders in this space, in this category, it was a bit challenging. But honestly, looking back, I'm glad I didn't know exactly what the numbers were. Had I known that would have been sort of my Moby Dick, or I would have had this sort of (laughs) a cloud or concern. So it was good to just go through it and um, be a little bit on the other side of it. And, And still, there are many more steps or paths in my future, but I don't have any regrets. So you mentioned before other women founders who were helpful to you. And I'm curious, what role have mentors played in your second act? Mentors play all the roles. I mean, they inspire you. They give you very tactical, real advice. And I would say from a fan base, my parents have been my mentors from birth. They've part of the reason why you've got to have self-esteem or some level of confidence, no matter how many times you get knocked down. I think my parents have been sort of pillars of that all the way through. But mentors for me in financial services have always helped me sort of navigate sort of the politics or the structure and the hierarchy and how do you move up the next level? But mentors in the founder space are all over the map. There are other founders, uh, there are other entrepreneurs. Sometimes they're friends who have provided legal advice, who have provided financing. So I've been fortunate. This is one part of being in the second nap. Your network is significantly larger. So when you start talking to people, everyone's thought about this, doing a second act, a third act, or starting a business. And once you start talking to people and sharing your ideas, they come out of the woodwork. They're really willing to share and sort of lead you and introduce you to other folks. So it started off small and then it snowballed pretty quickly in terms of meeting other folks and asking them questions about their experience. So there's a mission-driven purpose to the business that you started. Tell us a little bit about that mission. Sure. The mission has been, it's probably less sexy and less big and less sort of Mother Teresa based than I just think of my parents, honestly. They immigrated in the 70s from Korea. 
myself and my brother and my sister came about a year later. They thought it would be really difficult moving to a new country, trying to find an apartment, get a business set up really early on. So we stayed with our grandparents and they got all of those components sorted. And they embarked on this journey of owning different stores or different retail shops, whether it was a restaurant, a dry cleaning store, a grocery store. So they embarked on it and they they did it diligently. They worked so hard. They figured out the tax codes, how to get the leasing, how to hire people, the supplies. They figured just from scratch. And I got to see how hard they work. One of the things they didn't know about was retirement savings or capital markets. I didn't grow up in a household where we talked a lot about stocks and bonds at the dinner table. Very different from what our daughter hears at home today with my husband and I talking about all sorts of things. So it was a very, they just didn't know. And quite frankly, 30, 40 years ago, it was just a a mystery to them. It wasn't part of the culture. So if I think about had they started just a few thousand dollars a year over the past 30 or 40 years, that could have equated to 2.8 million sort of tax deferred, compounded interest, all of those components. And so I think a big part for them with the children were the retirement plans. And in some ways we fulfilled that because we have aided and supported them. And as many immigrants and children of immigrants know, that's a huge, it can be quite a bit on the children to sort of support that in the next generation, which sort of limits their ability to build wealth for their families. So it's driven personally by my own experience. And I know I'm not unique. I've got the fortune of birth of having two parents that are together. I provide a lot of love and support and aid. And I believe today, there are 57 million Americans today who do not have anything prepared for retirement that is significant. And a huge portion, I believe, can look like me. They may have just come. They're, They're starting to save. They're just getting, they're learning about how to invest and they're just beginning. They've got their own businesses. So I think a confluence of those events married with my background in financial services. And for the most part, I've been fortunate to work in places uh, where we're serving large companies or individuals who aren't necessarily in need of these particular types of services. So I wanted to do something that sort of fulfilled the other half. And by the way, I think there's great demand and there's great opportunity in, in serving these sort of constituents as well. It's easy to think that everyone in the U.S. has access to a 401k plan, but Many employees do not. What are some stats that people should know on retirement plans that people might not be aware of? Sure. So believe it or not, nearly 5 million businesses still do not have a retirement savings. And that equates to the 57 million Americans I mentioned earlier. There's a whole confluence of events and sort of needs, whether it's education, availability, accessibility, costs, information. I would say we're entering a new era. A new era of opportunity where I always think of this as sort of the carrot and the stick measure components. You've got both factors in in state. So at the sort of carrot level, level, the federal government via Secure One and Secure Two, two major pieces of legislation that have bipartisan support and that have passed are providing sort of unprecedented tax incentives for small businesses. 
to actually get set up from 16, up to 16,500 in three years. If you've never set up a plan to start a plan, tax credits to credits, if you've got under 50 employees, I mean, there's a slew of them. And I encourage any small business owner or individual to talk to their tax advisor and accountant to see what those are. You can easily Google some of those resources. There are a lot of shortcuts. So a lot of incentives that have never existed before. Then you've got sort of the stick component. Out of 16 states have already passed legislation requiring a small business to have a qualified savings plan. There are many options. There are some state options. There are many choices and great providers. But I believe there's never been a better time, whether you go with the traditional firm or some of the newer firms, modern 401k providers who make it really easy and takes away a lot of the administrative burden, a lot of the decision-making around investments, as well as making the cost extremely favorable for businesses and their employees. So again, there's never been a better time if a person hasn't started to start. And I believe firmly in the next couple of years, it will become almost required. I will give you an example. California alone, last June, by the end of June, if you had more than five employees, you had to have a qualified plan set up. And by 2025, it's going to go to one if you're one person. So if they are the ones that are leading, you see where things are going. And this is the part that's a little bit disheartening is in 10 years, Social Security will run out. The Department of Labor website literally has in 10 years. So I personally do not think it will go to zero, but the way our country sort of rely or the way retirees have relied on it will look very different. So this is the sort of carrot and stick method that the government's imposing. But there again, I think individuals and businesses have more opportunity and choices than ever before. And what have been some of the things historically that have held small business owners back from offering retirement plans to their employees? Awareness, knowledge, just education. Over the past 40 plus years that it's been available, it's been available predominantly for professionals, let's say doctors, lawyers, accountants, because those individuals often have their small practices, small businesses, and a tax advisor, financial advisor, or banker who's provided them the insights. I also think there's been a time decades ago where it was very difficult to determine what kind of investment you would put under the plan. And I think even now, a lot of the jargon associated with 401k plans, safe harbor, contribution, distribution, there's still a mystery for a lot of the small business owners that we talk to every day. So a couple of barriers awareness, but again, I believe this is the dawn of a new era. There's more available, there's more education. And if, believe it or not, even on TikTok, if you type in 401k, you're going to have TikTok videos. There are a lot of 401k influencers out there, believe it or not. So it's never been more accessible than it has today. And I think that's good news for all of us. That's a new one for me, TikTok 401k influencers. (laughs) Believe it. Well, someone told me that the millennials or Gen Z have the attention span of, we've got eight seconds. So TikTok videos are about 15, 20 seconds. So you but it forces you to like really cut through and use the 10 or 20 words that communicate the benefit. And I'll give you one right now. It's sort of 
How do you turn $300 into 1.8 million? Put it away every month. So these are the kinds of things that I think will cut through and for the younger generation provide sort of an immediate benefit or conversation to actually start searching, right? Makes sense. So as you know, small business owners have to run a tight ship. What are the costs and benefits of offering 401ks that are in place? So the first and foremost, even there's a lot around where the economy is. There's talks of recession, inflation. Are we there? Are we over it? Are we, is it still ahead of us? So there's volatility to be sure. But every small business owners know you still have to hire people. You need people in your, to run your restaurants, to retail stores, to work in your professional services firms, to talk to clients, to address, to service them. And so people are the biggest assets and more and more that it, it, we always say attract and retain. People know that automatically and certainly at large companies, that's always been, I've always took it for granted because everywhere I've ever worked, I've always had it. So it was sort of been a complete, it's something you automatically did. To know that small business owners have to wrestle with, wait a minute, do I do payroll? Do I do insurance? Do I do healthcare? And now this, adding this component, it's become more contemplation around benefits but at the end of the day, it's become also state table stakes. With younger workers writ large, a vast majority of our clients are starting to do it because their employees raise their hands, not because they wanted to do it. It's sort of, I will take, there was an art director working for a PR agency from one of our clients that said, I've got to do this now because this, I can't hire this guy. His wife is asking if we have it. So now I've got to do it. So I think more and more, especially during COVID when all of us read our ADV forms and all the fine print and looked at our fees and our pricing and all of that, it, we started realizing there are different options. There's more available. We started questioning more. And I think a lot of the younger generation, these are digital natives. They know how to shop. They know how to ask questions. They know how to research and they will. So it's become almost table stakes for a lot of small businesses. Makes a lot of sense. Gene, thanks for making us much smarter about 401ks for small businesses. Very, very helpful. Glad to be here. And thank you so much, Joe. Time for the takeaway segment. A few ideas to consider adding to your list following today's conversation. Number one, when you think back on the pandemic, what gave you pause? What are some problems you see out there that may turn into opportunities for you to contribute in your second act? Number two, who can be your mentor? One thing about all of these second act stories is that they're never really a go it alone situation. There are always valuable mentors and advisors behind the scenes who are for advice, introductions and connections, reality checks when necessary. Who's that group of people for you who can make a second act a reality in your case? Number three, if you are a small business owner or you know someone who is, what are you doing for your employees? You'll find a link to Jean's company, Penelope, in the show notes. Take a look at what her company can do for your employees and how you can help them save retirement and help you retain them. Thanks for listening to Retirement Podcast. Our mission is to help you retire smarter by planning for both sides of the retirement equation. It's a lot more than money.